Hey, how's it going? It's Tommy Gentleman here. Welcome to episode 117 of Tommy G Talks. This episode, I was joined by the awesome Gemma Alcock. Gemma is the founder and CEO of Skybound Rescuer. She's devoted her adult life to innovating in technology, in particular drone technology. She's basically helped to save people's lives using drone technology, particularly out at sea, where she spends a lot of her time researching and developing and improving what tech there already is out there. But also, she is an innovator, and she's thinking of new ways to help keep people safe and to continue the awesome positive development of this technology. And in this episode, we had a little chat about how technology can be used for positive when there's good intention behind it, you know, and that goes all the way from this device that you're listening to me on and how you use that all the way through to how you might use something like drone technology. So we talk about that and some of the innovation, some of the the history behind what she's been doing and, and why she's doing it. But also, we had this chat, it was quite lucky actually, because we had this chat on the week of A-level results and GCSE results coming out here in the UK. So when we hear about Gemma's story, she is evidence of being able to fully go all in on your chosen career path, even if it is an alternative one, and even if people around you are doubting it or saying it's not possible or that there should be other things that you're doing instead of what you want to do. So she followed her dreams, she went for it, and I think you'll take something from her story, something positive, something inspiring. We also spoke on the day that she was actually on Sky News live giving her thoughts uh, on alternative career paths. She's part of an exciting project in partnership with Samsung, and she talks all about that here on this episode too. So, here is episode 117 with Gemma Alcock, right after the jingle. Welcome to Tommy G Talks. Welcome along, Gemma. It's great to have you here. And in this episode of Tommy G Talks, I've been looking forward to this one for such a long time. I lined up some guests for the month of August and I did it a few weeks back now. And I made sure that I had uh, a good mixture of people from all different backgrounds, all different walks of life to come and share their story and come and talk about different topics. And it's just quite poetic how this episode has landed on the week of A-level results, GCSE results, all the controversy around like this this alumni having their results like all strange because of COVID. And you've also been on TV today. You've also been on Sky News. So why don't you just go ahead and kind of fill the gaps for me, introduce yourself, who are you, what do you do, and why do you do it? And why are we on Sky News today? Go for it. <laughs> Okay, cool. So I'm Gemma. I'm the founder and CEO of a company called Skybound Rescuer, which is an organization that specializes in the use of drones for public safety. So I get to work with emergency services to uh, either start their drone team or improve their drone team. And I get to work with the drone industry to 
help them create better products and services for the emergency services as well, which is very fun. Um, and then in my voluntary world, I'm the uh, director of air operations for an amazing charity called Lola Rescue. And they search for missing vulnerable people um, on behalf of the police forces all across the UK. So we've got 34 teams all across the UK. And it's not just drones that we use. There's dog teams, ground teams, bike teams, any discipline to help find a missing person. It, that's what Lowland Rescue does. And I manage their air operations, uh, which is from how we train with drones, how we use drones, how we manage uh, the use of drones to find those missing people. Um, so that's what I that's what I do. That's my passion. Um, why I do it uh, is to save lives. Ultimately, the, my first kind of taster of what um, my career is now was um, in public safety as a beach lifeguard for another incredible charity called the Royal National Lifeboat Institution or RNLI. And um, it was through RNLI uh, beach lifeguarding that I experienced um, the unique and very profound feeling of saving a life. And it was that feeling that uh, made me realize that I wanted to dedicate the rest of my career to advancing life-saving. Uh, and so after that, I then dedicated my university dissertation to uh, finding, uh, researching a problem that they were facing, the RNLI was facing and solving it. And that solution became drone technology. So uh, yeah, the, the passion that drove the whole thing was life-saving and it still continues to motivate me every single day. Why I was on Sky News, that's something um, quite different really. Uh, I would, a few weeks ago now, I had the absolute honor of Samsung, a global tech leader, uh, reaching out to me and asking for me to be involved in their Alternative Careers Guide uh, campaign. Um, now, you've already mentioned that uh, results, uh, is, uh, I guess, GCSE and A-level uh, students are having to rethink perhaps their university choices, their career paths. And so Samsung wanted to take that opportunity to raise awareness of some really highly innovative careers in, tech, in the tech world um, to re-inspire that generation. Um, and one of those stories that they highlighted was my career story. So I was on Sky News to, um, to talk about that campaign and talk about getting my results way back when and um, the impact that had on my career. Um, so yeah, very exciting day, very surreal day. I was on a billboard in London as well, which, I mean, that feels very, <laughs> very unreal. But um, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a great day. <laughs> I'm very excited for you, super, super pleased for you as well. And obviously we've had a, a bit of chat going on in the background leading up to this. We had to change the day from Tuesday to Thursday just because of the <laughs> Samsung like prolonging the the release of this this campaign, this project. So like all this stuff is all great and it's very it's very exciting. But the core of it for you, when you mentioned about the the feeling of saving a life and then dedicating yourself to that, and you know, technology gets a lot of bad rap, doesn't it? It gets a lot of criticism. People are very easy to blame some of the downfalls of our society on technology, like mm. short attention spans and not socializing effectively because we're looking at phones all the time or we're playing games all the time or, you know, the common kind of cliche things. But what we have here is 
absolute evidence that technology that we can all have and you know drones have been on people's christmas lists now for many years um can actually do something so so important like saving people's lives without putting anyone at risk and that's the amazing thing about it as well i guess like how did it all start like when did you first get your hands on a on a drone control pad like where did it all begin (laughs) um good question um so as i say it was very much a research driven uh journey to finding drone technology um so through my dissertation i i found that what the rnli was was struggling with was to find people at night um it takes them three to four times longer to find a person in trouble at night than it um than it would in daylight if all other conditions were the same and obviously we don't have that luxury of time when someone's in trouble so you have to send three to four times the amount of assets lifeboats helicopters so it's quite a costly thing um and then i looked at okay what's the asset what's the uh, what helps them? What helps the lifeboats? And they all said categorically helicopters, but only when they're available, right? But, yeah. um, they're not always available because they're, uh, they're expensive, so we don't have loads of them. But also during um, the night, from being tasked to being airborne, so, so for the being told there was someone uh, in trouble at sea to taking off, That's an average time of 40 minutes during the night. And then they've got to fly to the search area to start looking for that person. Um, And when someone's in trouble, we always talk about a golden hour, which is one hour to find them and then get them to hospital for the best chance of survival. So the helicopters were getting on scene outside of that um, that time frame. So I wanted to give the benefit of the helicopters to the lifeboats, but instantly, which became drone technology. Um, and it, definitely the research took me there, but it was a happy coincidence that my dad is actually a huge aviation, um, uh, enthusiast. And so I probably have been for uh, a long time too. I've gone to air shows with him. Uh, I can't even remember the first time I went to one of those. And so he had a little drone as well, one of the toy ones. Um, so I, and I think he had, uh, actually bought one very recent to when I was researching so it was yeah I think we we learned to fly together um he's a great photographer as well so we but like the first kind of serious drone I bought I bought with my dad and he was geeking out over the camera and I was geeking out over flying and uh it it was it was great um so yeah that was all part of my dissertation which was in 2014 now wow okay so just um, before we go back to 2014 and, and that kind of time when you were doing that, how many, well, how, how common is it now for the beachside, particularly beach, beachside rescue lifeguards to have like a drone, drone technology there with them at their disposal? At their disposal? How, how common is that now? So in the UK, unfortunately, it's still not happening. Um, okay. That was very much, it was a research uh, project. Um, okay. Now that, that research project has gone to the Coast Guard. So they are progressing, uh, looking at drone technology, but it's not the stuff that you buy off the shelf. It's serious, like almost military level technology that can fly okay. for hours um, offshore. 
But in Australia, they uh, beach lifeguards uh, are using drones every single day. Interestingly, they're f- uh, flying to do patrols to monitor shark locations. And really? all of that information um, from the drones is going into an app called Sharks Near Me. So no uh, beach yeah, beachgoers can log into an app and see where um, the nearest shark is to them, what type of shark or, uh, yeah, useful information like that. Um, so that's why they're using drones to patrol for sharks, but they do have rescue equipment attached that they can drop if they see someone in trouble whilst they're patrolling. Um, yeah. So, yeah, Australia leading the way. I, I definitely yeah. think it will reach the UK eventually, but at the moment it's it's more research-based uh, for lifeguards. It's the police and fire that are using them operationally. Yeah, cool. Wow. I mean, that's so interesting. Like for, for the surfers, that's going to be saving a few people's limbs for like knowing where the sharks are in the water is going to be a massive benefit for anyone going out on the sea. Um, so talk about the, the period of your life there where, where you were studying and you had the dissertation going and you thought, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm into something that I'm passionate about here. Um, what were some of the challenges that you were faced with, um, particularly around any other advice that might have been flying about at that time in your life of like what to do when you finish university? Um, and how did you overcome those challenges to stick to ultimately what you were so passionate about? Yeah, I guess um, the first kind of challenge was a personal one and the other one was uh, an external one, I guess. So the personal one was that because I had a design degree and I think I placed too much importance over what degree I had, I thought, well, I've done design. I'm not the right person to take this forward because I'm not an engineer. Um, And so I was of the mindset, right, I have to do another degree. Um, to be to become the right person or I have to work for another company and I was reaching out to companies and I actually had applied to do a master's at Southampton University in drone design to become an engineer in that um, that was a brand new course as well that exists now um, and I got accepted onto that um, and I was going to get a um, sponsor unfortunately this sponsorship uh, fell through two weeks before so oh. I couldn't actually do the course and and then the external challenge was that when I was reaching out to these companies with this idea that I truly believed in they were telling me look if you want to make money you you like this drone idea for public safety it's got to be a passion project you've got to focus on a different industry it's just it's not going to make you money um but I I believed in it and i knew the world of public safety these guys knew the world of drone technology and so i don't think they realized that money could be made while saving lives right Mm, yeah um you could you could have both you could have a successful company because there's so many organizations in this world um that are dedicated to public safety and um but they weren't they weren't hearing that they were like no it's it's not going to be a viable business so that was a huge challenge. Um, and I decided, right, I'm, I'm going to do this because, and, and the thing that motivated me at that point was, although I was getting a lot of negativity from the drone world, the emergency services, they were reaching out to me constantly to hear about my research. I like t- maybe two weeks after graduating, I had New York uh, fire department reaching out to me. Um, no like, how, how have you heard of my research? <laughs> But it's, yeah. it's such a small connected community um, because 
not many people trying to do such radical changes in the emergency service sector. Um, and yeah. definitely not in the way I was doing it in the fact that I was doing it all around research rather than here's a bit of technology and try and throw it upon you without knowing the end um, user requirements. I was taking mm -hmm. it from right, let's research this and let's work out what best practice looks like first. And no one was taking that approach. So because of that, it was raise, it, it was building an awareness. So I decided I, I was going to take it forward and really believed in, in my slice of the drone industry, um, traveled the world to kind of just raise awareness, talk to anyone who would listen. Um, and now, as of almost a year ago now, um, Public safety is one of the um, it's widely referenced as one of the biggest markets with the most growth potential for drone technology. As of yeah. almost a year ago, it's it's kind of just taken off, pun intended. Um, yeah. <laughs> Very good. I like it. So, <laughs> oh, there's so many puns in the drone world. <laughs> <laughs> droning on being the typical one droning on, yeah. i was going to say you i mean you you mentioned that there was a lot of negativity from from like you know the the drone community i was going to say what were they droning on about but what what was what was the like, what what was their beef what was what was the the big um issue was it jealousy like what, what was going on there it was more that they didn't think it was viable um they knew that um emergency services would have probably very similar requirements to military in that they need to use it in any weather, they need to use it for okay. a long time, and that's expensive to develop. And they felt, well, they can't afford technology that big. But actually, um, a, a, a search and rescue helicopter, that's not cheap kit. A fire mm. engine, that's not cheap kit, right? No. You prove the need, yeah. there is money. Because once you've shown yeah. the benefit of having that technology, then they can justify the spend. But they were refusing to hear that reasoning. That is, I mean, that there, let's not overlook what you just said because it actually is a, a fantastic business advice that actually applies to any industry anywhere. Um, and it kind of ties in with this saying of you only you need to understand your vision. It's not up to others to also understand your vision. Like as long as you know what it is and you believe in it, the rest is for you to show it to everyone as it starts to build and develop. Because when that person or those people were saying, hey, look, there's no money in it, like it's not going to work and da-da-da, it's a sad thing, isn't it? Because all they're doing is suppressing your ambition mm -hmm. and your dreams. But then there's a, a debate around, you know, how many how many young people or, or just any age um, individual actually has a good idea, actually has an innovation versus mm -hmm. someone just giving them some actual advice of, look, this is probably not going to work that well. Um, it's a fine line, isn't it? But how did you know that, well, what was it for you that kept you doing it versus just going actually, because it must have been tough at some some points, you know, working, oh, yeah. you, did you have a job at the same time? Were you working like, were you working yeah. doing different jobs as well? So uh, for the first two years, I um, self-funded my company through my beach lifeguard wage. So I'd work right. all of the hours I could there on the is. beach during, during the summer um, and then still work on the company on my two days off a week from lifeguarding and every evening and sometimes yep. mornings before I would go onto the beach. And then so that I could afford to then work full time on my company all winter. Um, so 
Yeah, it was it was tough and interesting times, that's for sure. <laughs> Money and did not exist a, in my life. <laughs> can you remember a, a standout moment where, because a lot of people that I talk to on the podcast, I know that I've had various moments that are standout moments where you've come very close to choosing a very different path. And in this case, maybe it was you came very close to either getting tempted to go into something more comfortable um, and more secure. Maybe there was an opportunity that came and you thought, oh, this is quite a good deal, but it's not what I really want to do because that can be the case sometimes. Or quite often it can be that an individual just gets close to quitting. Did either of those two things ever happen? Oh, um, I'm very stubborn, right? So even when I've been like a little bit tempted and everything on paper looks like, well, uh, maybe I should work for this company full time rather than try and do it by, by myself. Um, there's just something in me that even if it makes sense to quit, I just can't quit. <laughs> um, yeah. And that's good and bad. Don't get me wrong, right? Because sometimes there are things that you just need to let go. Um, and luckily in this case, my stubbornness saw me through and there's a few like opportunities that I thought, yeah, actually I could work for that. Um, uh, that organization, an example being, I love the RNLI, right? That's who started it all for me. And, um, I was working very closely with their innovation team and, um, to the point where I even, uh, um, almost applied to work, um, uh, as the as the online innovation team but it was I, I don't know what stopped me to be honest I it's just I I honestly don't know what stopped me because everything was like you know what this is an organization I love it's a charity I love they like everything they stand for is what I love to do um but something stopped me um so that was probably the closest I came to applying for a different organization um with regards to quitting, I think actually the closest I came, and it wasn't because it was things were going badly. It was because I stupidly lost a little bit of work-life balance, right, and went too hard for too long last year. It was my okay. biggest project, and for maybe six months, I was working 12 to 16-hour days every single day, never took a weekend off at all, and I got to the end of it. And like, it all went really well, but I was miserable. Um, and okay. so I thought, well, even if it goes well, I'm not going to enjoy it. But actually, like a bit of distance, a bit of rest. And I went to Bali um, for a few weeks. That's where my boyfriend lived as well. So that was always like going to help. And um, yeah, I think that gave me a bit more perspective. And I was like, I'm not going to quit. Like, it was just, I, I was burnt out. Um, yeah. but that was probably the closest I came to it because I genuinely thought, oh my God, it, it all went well and I'm not enjoying it. Um, sure. what's the, what's the point? But it, it really was just because I should have, uh, took a bit more time out, um, rather than going that hard for six months. <laughs> well, that's fair enough. And it's good that you can look back at it and you can evaluate that. I think it's really useful in that case. One yeah, of the things sure. that, that actually you might maybe you, you you know or maybe you maybe you, it just kind of passed you by which is possible because not everyone remembers everything in the world that happens is um you and i first connected do you remember how we how we actually first connected <laughs> no how okay. did we first connect so you um you just mentioned about being stubborn and you you also sort of 
indicated about being competitive and having that kind of fierce nature about you. It was actually uh, a post you put on LinkedIn that came up on my on my feed, and it was you making parallels between tennis, I believe. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you <laughs> was making tennis. parallels between playing tennis and business and saying how I think you asked a question like hey does anyone out there relate to this like I believe I'm competitive in business because of what I've learned through being competitive in sport it was something yep. like that and I remember reading it and I remember thinking that she's got it bang on here like this is this is exactly how I feel and I commented and I think I said like you know go you um I agree something like that and and then you commented back and then that's when I saw what you were up to and then reached out and said, I'd love to have you on my podcast. Um, so I want to kind of hook back to like the younger generation, just because I think that there would be some value there. If, if there's younger people listening, maybe they're at uni or college or um, they're thinking about mixing it up a little bit in terms of their career path. Some people have sport and they can draw from that. Yeah. And I don't want to get too caught up in like, what are the connections between sport and business that you can draw from? Because I think we could talk about that and it could be a totally different tangent. But what I would like to talk about is what advice would you have for a young person that maybe just needs to look outside of the classroom to realize mm-hmm. that they are good at other things in terms of their own characteristics, their own personality traits, but maybe they're just not noticing that yet. Where else can they draw that from, in your opinion? What advice would you give? Well, first of all, you can be competitive without being sporty, right? I think that we, we always comp- like, we always think that they are two in the same thing, um, and that's like that's not true. I've got so many friends that are competitive um, but terrible at sport, hate sport, and it's like <laughs> if you constantly want to be the best version of yourself, um, and you like you're constantly at competition with yourself, you're always wanting to improve, then you're competitive. Right. Um, so uh, if you've got that trait in yourself, then you'll probably be quite good at business because uh, or running a business because you've got to constantly want to be better than yourself, better than you were yesterday, because um, you've got to stay ahead of the competition. Stay, um, you know, to be market leading. The only way is to improve every single day, even when you're the best. Right. Apple or Samsung whoever it may be, like these companies don't just get to the, like the top of their game and be like, okay, we're, li- we're the leaders now, so we can stop innovating. They constantly are pushing. And so if you've got that trait in you, then that is um, amazing for business. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess that's, that would be my first point. Um, so advice for young people, I guess... I don't know where to go with this. Uh, other well, than you, uh, you, you mentioned on Sky News earlier. You gave some advice. Yeah. The, the lady on Sky News sort of asked you what, sure. what advice you'd give. Um, I'm going to chuck an example in there for you. I um, had to retake one of my A levels. I managed to blag only doing two, by the way, because I made my mind up quite early on that I wasn't going to go to uni. So I just tried to do the least amount of work I could possibly do and focus on my career right so that's where we have something in common I saw what my career path was going to be and it was going to be based around qualifications foot in the door get a job build from that um which is what happened in the end um if it had been the other way and I needed the qualifications I would have approached it differently but like the example I'm going to give you is if someone didn't get the 
get the grades that that they thought they were going to get especially with now that like this this year with the 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 crazy kind of disappointment in the air about well there is a lot of disappointment for people about not being able to see it through properly and have that whole experience you know of doing the last part of their studies and the exams in some cases um what advice would you give someone whose grades weren't as good as they thought they were going to be yeah um so uh the the advice I gave on Sky News that I'll reiterate um, but expand upon is that grades really are just a stepping stone. And um, as long as your grades get you to the next step of your career, then they've served their purpose. I didn't get the grades I wanted. I got the grades I needed, but I did not yeah. get the grades I wanted, right? I, and like at GCSEs, for example, I, I did I did well. I got a four A's, the rest B's. Um, but I, because I'm dyslexic and I love a good challenge, I was determined to get at least one A star and to get an A in English just nice. to prove that a dyslexic could do that, right? Great. I did not achieve either of those goals, right? Oh, but man, I, got, I, got, go. I got good grades. I got good grades, but at the time it was like, oh my gosh, this is the end of the world. Um, sure. But it, it enabled me still to get onto the International Baccalaureate, which is an alternative to A-levels. Yeah. Um, where you do six subjects and uh, free bonus. They call them bonus topics, but they are compulsory. Um, so not much of a bonus. But um, it still enabled me to get onto that course. And then my grades from uh, International Baccalaureate, again, wasn't quite what I was after, but it enabled me to get onto my first choice at Bournemouth University. Um, and then at Bournemouth University, what I really, really wanted was a first I was so bad, wanted a first-class degree, and I got a 2-1, and I was, like, not even 2% off a first. It was it was gutting, and it was like, um, I went to my course coordinator. I was like, why? Why have you done this? Um, and I, it was my dissertation, my dissertation that's turned into my company. I was like, you know, this is, like, I thought my project was was good enough, and he was like, it is. It's just you went really technical and you're doing a design degree and half of the great stuff was outside of the marking criteria, right? Yeah. So I think that was probably the first realization that although I loved education, I really love education. I'm a big advocate for higher education. I don't think I'm actually that well suited to the education system. And any entrepreneur probably has experienced the same that we think outside of the box and thinking outside yes. of the box in education means thinking outside of the marking cr criteria, the criteria. Um, yeah. <laughs> right <laughs> so going above and beyond at school doesn't get you too far because uh, doing more than what they're asking of you doesn't get any extra marks but in sure. business going above and beyond makes you stand out against all of the other competition so it sucked at that point but that was probably the first indication that i would be good at business <laughs> so I they like really that. are just stopping things that is really cool because people you know people can get so upset and think that that's it and that, that you know the world's over for them and their dreams are crushed because they've missed out and i was talking to my parents about this uh, the other day in some cases you do need certain grades for some careers that like you have to have a's a stars quote me if i'm wrong but to be for example a vet or a doctor you just you you do yeah. it's just part of the the stepping stones for that job um but a lot of the jobs or businesses that we get into 
we we just need to go through the process don't we to get the next part of the, the next door opens yeah and it's there that we can really flourish um tell me what it was like like that i i observe I, I see some dynamics in the household where the student is being told what they should do by the parents and then i see others and this would have been me the second example the student tells the parents because they know what they want to do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what do you make of that? What are the what are the what are the strengths of both, and what are the possible repercussions of both, in your opinion? Um. I mean, probably a mixture of the two. Um, my husband, my my parents are. are I guess quite traditional. And when I was like, I'm going to start my own company, they're like, go get a job. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't, but again, my stubbornness, I'm like, no, I'm starting a company. You can almost just imagine um, like the pat, pat on the head. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's great, Gemma, but go get a job. Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, it was, Probably for the first, like, I don't know, two, maybe even three years, it would be, like, um, I think my parents were probably won over, um, maybe in the second year. When I got my first, like, consultancy contract, they were like, okay, this might make some money. Um, But it's more like my uh, grandpa, that it was, like, every conversation I had with him, he was like, so why don't they employ you? Like, everyone I worked with as, like, a consultant, they're like, so why don't they employ you? I'm like, <laughs> that's not yeah. what I'm trying to achieve here. Um, yeah. so I guess it's like um, working outside of the traditions of your family is really difficult because you're trying to like, um, you know, you're in unknown territory for yourself. So you're constantly trying to tell yourself, I can do this. And then when your nearest and dearest are saying, eh, might not be able to do this, it's a bit weird. But also I can understand that, especially from my mom's perspective, she wasn't thinking of like the end goal of this may be huge and I, um, I could make millions or that she was seeing the here and now. And it was, I was making a lot of, um, a lot of sacrifices. I gave up yeah. my, my favorite, one of my favorite hobbies, um, I, that I got into at university was skydiving. Um, yeah. now I'm not, my mom was probably a fan of me giving this one up, but she knew <laughs> how much I loved it. And, but it's an expensive hobby to keep. And then tennis as well. That was also, um, I just kind of, I wasn't socializing as much because socializing can be expensive. And I was just pouring every penny into this company, into this idea and working long hours. And for my mom, from the outside looking in, she was like, this isn't healthy, right? So it was tough to get her on board, but it was from a good place. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a difficult one. I, and I know that some parents are like super strict on you will um, become a doctor, you will be a lawyer. And I just can't even imagine that kind of environment. Um, it, it just, I don't know, like, I guess kids in those environments quite often do become lawyers and doctors. So they, some people thrive under, under, under that, but I just don't know how, um, how, I guess, healthy from a mental health perspective. Like, sure. are you going into a career that you're passionate about? Um, mm. Or is it social conditioning? Uh, yeah. I don't know. I think it's an interesting debate and I think that there's an odds game going on. I think for some, that's the right formula. They need that nurturing experience to be able to find what they should do in life and therefore find that and be that. But if there's that little bit of nagging disconnect and a trade of happiness going on, 
that's when it can become a problem and, and it's up to then the person's tolerance as to whether they see the benefit of being that versus the nagging thought of regret maybe or like lack of, of, of passion or happiness or seeing what other people are doing and thinking, man, that's my, that's my dream. Um, and it's, it's not easy. And, and it's actually not easy from a parent parent's point of view. Of course, it's not easy for anyone in this equation. So there is an odds thing going on there, I think. But what I will say for anyone who's listening and maybe has um, a disconnect in terms of what their parents, what your parents want you to do versus what you want to do and you find it a difficult conversation to have, there's uh, the way you got to frame it is your parents are going to be right either way, right? So either your parents are going to be right because it's going to be a bad move. And then you come back with your tail between your legs and you go, you were right. And then they go, come here, you little rascal. And then that's, <laughs> and then that's it. You know, you, you've, you've, you've tried and, and, and they were right. And so you say to them, look, I'm going to do it. You're either going to be right. And it's going to be right. Or, well, I'm going to, I'm going to pull this off. In which case, how proud are you going to be of me when I'm doing that? And then if the answer is, well, yeah, of course, then the parents have nothing to worry about because they're going to be right either way. And it's like, it takes all the pressure off if that conversation can be had. I mean, I'm very, very, very grateful that my, my parents have pretty much just cheered on anything that I, anything that I said I've wanted to do or try. It's like, okay, good. As long as that's what you want to do. It's, I know that that's rare. I'm very, very grateful for that. And all I can hope for is that I'm that to my kids. All I can hope for is that I enable my kids, like my parents enabled me, um, to do whatever, you know. But, yeah, it's, it's a, one of the biggest talking points, I think, around education and expectation and what to do. And, and if anyone's in that, I don't know about you, Gemma, but if, if there's people that don't, if there's young people that don't know what they want to do, Sometimes it can be the loudest vote wins. You know, it's like, well, gotta do that now, go. And then before you know it, you're filling out a form to go to a university and study something that you you felt like you had to because yeah. you had no other choice. You know, it's it's not an easy one to get right. But I guess the key thing is that you can change anything at any point. I think um the people that are struggling to say to work out what degree they want to do, I think often those people are thinking of the long term of like, what career yeah. do I want to do, right? But actually, uh, I say the single best reason to choose a career is passion. And there's nothing more sustainable for motivation than passion is. So even if it's um, perhaps not that vocational, choose a degree that you, in a topic that you're passionate about. And um, the rest will fall into place because you can make a career out of the most bizarre things. And like, what my career is, it didn't exist when I was choosing university degrees. So who knows? You might choose a degree and, and develop a, an industry yourself. So honestly, just, just choose what you're passionate about. At university, you get to explore so many different things and learn so many different skills as well. So as long as it's all around something that you're passionate about, then that, that's the degree for you. Um, equally, yeah. for like apprentice, apprenticeships, uh, internships, just choose something that interests you. And the rest will fall into place. That's really great. I mean, I, I'm not sure whether it was that's really, really great advice, by the way. I'm not sure if it was the Sky News interview with yourself or whether it was something else that I watched earlier um, along the same kind of topic. But there's this um, this area of uncertainty around internships and work experience, and um, the biggest 
barrier. Oh, I remember what it was. It was a status on LinkedIn again that uh, that I read. I think the biggest barrier is entitlement. I think the the, the, the biggest barrier for for the employer and for the young person that's hungry to get into the right place if there's entitlement like a young person comes out and they're like well i can't i can't get an internship anywhere i want to go but then you should you're not you're not just going to get that that's not just going to happen it's not it's not actually entitled for you to do that you have to think about how and you've got to think outside the box and you've got to work your ass off and you've got to phone people up and you've got to knock on doors and you've got to see what you can do to get into the right place and then from the employer's point of view, it's kind of like, well, I, I can't find anyone good. The amount, of, the amount of other business owners I hear that are like, they diss, it, they diss the younger generation because they're like, there's no good ones out there. But they're basing yeah. that on maybe one or two that if you look at the initial conditions of how that business relationship began, it was dog shit in the first place because there wasn't that, the, the, there wasn't that equal trade of expectation. And they're setting, setting themselves up for failure. And it's like both parties need to lose that entitlement and actually look at each other and what each other can do for the greater cause within that six months or that year. I've got people and I've had people for forever, ever since I've employed people. I've always had, I've always taken a chance on like a, a young'un, like the, young, the youngest one. Even if they didn't have the right qualifications yet, I've gone, well, attitude test is there. This kid has the right attitude. It's not going to take much for them to come into our environment and learn from our team and get the paperwork done to be an amazing asset. Um, the, the biggest example of this is the guy who basically runs my gym, right? Because I don't really do the day-to-day stuff whatsoever or or I haven't done for two two years he came to me on work experience. He came to me as a 14-year-old. And then when he like came into his last year of school, he was like, would I possibly be able to do some work in the summer holidays? We're like, forget that. Do you want an actual job? Like, what, what do you want to do? Um, we gave him a part-time job yeah. and, and, then, and then he went full-time and that was it. But in a weird romantic way, that's what someone did for me as well. So it's kind of, you pass it forward. Mm. So my, my, my last question really is, what does this, because we're talking about you and your experience and, and the younger sort of um, generation, but what does this mean for you as you grow even further into being a business owner, an entrepreneur, an, an innovator? What is the next thing for you? Like you're achieving so much right now. What's that next milestone? Oh, next milestone. Um, I mean, that's tough to, to summarize really. Um, I've put you on the spot a bit there. (laughs) A little bit, a little bit. Yeah, I mean, um, like, I guess something I haven't explored yet um, is raising investment, right? That's a a pretty important step for a small business to take. So far, I have bootstrapped, which is basically, um, I, I was funding it, as I said at the beginning, on my Beach Lifeguard wage. And then it got to a tipping point where my projects were making enough money that I was could then take the profits of that project to then put it into my next one and pay myself. Um, and the next stage of my company is a software project. And software is expensive. Um, so and no one's ever bootstrapped software development. <laughs> um, it, it's never ended well. 
Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, it's time to look at investment, which is going to be a huge journey. Um, but through, uh, just being in the world of, um, startup life, I know so many, uh, awesome startup owners that are already giving me so much advice. Um, I, I guess once you're a startup owner yourself, you start meeting new people like that as well. Like-minded individuals kind of drawn to each other because it's a weird little, wild of you you're like a workaholic I guess and um mm-hmm. because you're so dri- like your career is not just your career it's your passion as well and so I think entrepreneurs are often drawn to each other because it's something that perhaps if you're not like that you can't really understand your why you need to constantly think and talk about the career that you do so fortunately although it's a brand new path for me I um and in a great place to um to ask these questions to people that have been there done that yeah and you know just from the outside I mean it sounds like you've got a really exciting proposition for people having not had to take on any debt as such to fund where you've got to so far, not having, well, again, from the outside, but from the story only from what you've told us, not having other partners, investors that are already there because you've not done anything. Um, the I, I say easy way. You've just worked really hard and kept your belief in yourself because you knew that you were going to get there no matter what. And you've like used all your resources to get to where you are. And that puts you in just an awesome position. And there's no doubt that in years to come, we're going to hear more from what you've managed to achieve and, and, and how much of a difference you're going to make and your legacy of what you're doing right now and how that literally has an effect on other people's lives because it saves someone from literally doubt, like drowning. And then that person then goes on to have children and that, and then his or her legacy goes on. And that would not have happened had your innovation not existed. I mean, it really is amazing i love all that and, and you, i think you, you mentioned you've watched my tedx talk that's that's really fascinating to me the legacy of the the imprint that we can have with our actions with our words mm-hmm. and what you're doing is is special it really is so it can be full on all the time when you're running a business but remember that keep that really close it is really special what you're doing and um i just want to have a, a a little moment of silence for my for my holy stone for my uh I mentioned to you. Um, <laughs> oh, dear. Little... All right, <laughs> <laughs> Look at this. This this was this was my lockdown experience. <laughs> For those of you that are watching, oh, there is my drone battered to pieces. This here is a washing line that we <laughs> we got we 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 that's amazing through we stuffed it through a, a potato and then we launched the potato into a tree to hook the branch to get it down so if you didn't know about this ladies and gents throughout the lockdown um period i thought it would be a nice thing to do to go to the uh why i thought of going to the woods i don't know to fly a drone um but i thought it'd be a nice to go outside take my son with me um fly the fly the spaceship which is what we were calling it. Um, we're going to go fly a spaceship today. I literally hadn't flown it. I was too. I'm too scared to fly it. Oh, I was too scared to fly it. I don't know anymore because I'm like, I, I, you, you, it just goes off in the wind, and then you're like, oh, come back. So anyway, flew it up. And it's all great, and we're waving at the camera, and we're like, look, there's us. And it goes up, 
And then all of a sudden the wind starts taking it and I panic and I press the home button because the button brings it back. To, and because and of the wind yeah. and because it's just a bit confused and a bit, it was probably panicking more than I was. It just <laughs> flew into a tree and then oh, it just okay. got stuck in the tree and it was in the tree for six weeks. Like too high. I, I tried, I tried kicking balls at it. I tried throwing <laughs> sticks at it. We went out there, but it came, came like a little ritual for me and my son to just go out there and should we just try and get the drone down again today? And then eventually we got it down and it's all like busted up. But I thought that was quite funny. I thought I'd share that with you and show you. Well, I have, I, I have also, I've also lost a, dr- a drone um, in Canada. It's the only drone that I've ever lost, um, thankfully. Um, but it was in Canada and okay. um, the GPS is not great. Um, in well lots of parts of Canada but especially where we were flying uh, because it was in the middle of nowhere so I had to fly in uh, atom mode which basically you switch all the GPS off and it drifts more and you've got to control it a bit better and um, we were at the bottom of this cliff face and it was near this um, glacier it's beautiful but just the other side of this cliff face was loads of fishing lines because it was like um, salmon fishing Right. And um, I didn't realize that I had flown my drone straight into those lines and it was all tangled and everything. And I was there trying to bring it back and, I was, and it just wasn't moving. So I was putting more and more power into the motors and then all of a sudden, bam, straight into the cliff face and out the sky into the glacier. Oh. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> it was emotional. Were you recording a video? At the time? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I've got the footage. <laughs> so you pulled the footage off. So this, yeah. is, this is the weirdest thing, right? That... The way that that one works with the app and stuff, usually mm-hmm. when I've done a few little bits before, you have to like go and download the footage off. Um, it, it's it's not usually an easy thing. I swear it did it in like some sort of like last legs parting gift to me. Somehow <laughs> sent me the footage because I looked on my phone. I was like, "What's this video?" And it was just the <laughs> it was just the drone and like leaves and branches. <laughs> I actually do have that footage. Um, which uh, I, I honestly I don't know how it got on my phone because it's never done that before. But yeah, there you go. So anyway, it, hey, it's been really great speaking with you. Um, thank you for for coming on tonight. It's been great chatting with you. If you are listening to this and you're listening live and you've been here with us for either part of or all of our broadcast, then do let us know. Maybe share um, a comment. We have had some comments in here from uh, Angelina. She was just laughing at, I think, the drone story. Um, Carlton, Rhonda, Ryan, uh, Jackie, Paris. So thank you all for tuning in uh, this evening live. And if you are listening to this on the podcast, then do tag myself at Tommy Gentleman. And Gemma, what is the best way for people to contact you on social media? Uh, so probably, um, my company Facebook, which is Skybound Rescuer Project. Skybound Rescuer Project on Facebook. And just drop us a little comment. Um, if you're listening to this and and you, and you want to know more about what Gemma's up to, then go check out her social media pages. Um, I'll drop some tags in the description of the episode. Um, and once again, Gemma, Thank you so much for being here this evening. Keep doing such an amazing job. Keep innovating. Keep believing in yourself and keep saving lives and just being awesome. Thanks for being here. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's Tommy here. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Tommy G Talks. I really hope that you took something positive from it and would love to know your feedback. So hit me up 
on social media at Tommy Gentleman, all one word, and that way I will be able to respond to you and thank you for your feedback and your comments. All right, next week got another awesome guest lined up and look forward to connecting with you real soon. Thanks for listening to episode 117. Take care of yourself, stay safe, stay positive.